seems it's positively true that you've been out with someone I was new. When I ask you to explain, you find excuses and complain. You always underestimate my brain. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you, wherever you may be. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast for Wednesday. This is July the 15th. We're halfway through the month almost, everybody. And we are right in the dead of summer. The dead of summer. Uh, in the middle of the country, we're looking at a major heat wave. We haven't quite felt it in St. Louis. Yesterday, everybody was complaining about the heat. I found it quite bearable. It was like 90 degrees, but over the weekend, it's supposed to get up into like 99 with heat indexes of 115. Oh boy, do we love that. Today, we're going to get thunderstorms and hail, they are saying. It always amazes me that you get ice when it's 90 degrees outside and it's raining. Anyway, we're glad to have you along. Today, I'm going to just tell you right up front now what we got today. We have an episode of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, remember for a while there in the late 50s, they were doing the five-day-a-week, 15-minute shows. Well, this was right after that. And this one was from January 17, 1960. And this one is a half an hour, back to a half an hour format. But about this time, they were really hitting their stride. The only problem we had was that commercials, uh, such as they were, became much more prevalent uh, as we got into the mid to late 50s and then into the 60s. So we had to cut four commercials out of this. And it's only a half an hour show. So by the time you get all that done, you've got about a 21-minute show. And that includes the opening and the closing. But it's still a good story. Johnny uh, is out. Well, I'm going to just let you hear it. Uh, There's no reason for me to spoil any surprises. The name, what really fascinated me and what drew me to this one was the name, the Evaporated Clue Matter. That's a pretty good recording. This was recorded off the radio, apparently, but I got it cleaned up pretty good, and I don't think we're going to have any problems with it. So I hope you enjoy it. We have a little surprise for you at the end of the show, too. So anyway, this is from January 17th, 1960 on CBS. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, The Evaporated Clue Matter. Bascom, Johnny, at Forest State Insurance Company. Well, hiya, Hank. It's been a long, long time. Yeah, I know. 
Johnny, are you free to come down here and look into something for us? Henry, as long as somebody pays my expense account, and of course a nice fat fee, I'll go anywhere. Johnny, for once, you're not going to be able to pad that freewheeling expense account of yours. Any bets? Why not? Because the investigation I want you to make is right here in New York City. Oh, well, there's always the fee to fall back on. How much? Usual percentage of the face value of the policy. Okay, only how big is the policy? Johnny, hold your hat. It's about 200... Well, I mean, it's what? just under... 200 bucks? Johnny. Listen, Hank, my cut on a policy as small as that wouldn't buy me a sandwich and a cup of coffee. No, listen... And I suppose you'll question every penny I put on the expense account. Look, you didn't Why don't me... you just pay it off and save you and me and the company a lot of time, labor, and soap? What kind of a policy is it? Straight life. Huh? But listen, you didn't let me finish. The face value of this policy is a little under $200,000. 200... Oh. Yeah. Well... Hank, my buddy, my bosom pal, for an assignment like that, for the nice commission it's going to pay me, I'd walk to New York. Only maybe you better grab a plane or a train instead. Right. I'll be there. CBS Radio brings you Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly... Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Four State Insurance Company, New York City office. The following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the evaporated clue matter. Expense account item one, five and a quarter for a taxi out to Bradley Field. Item two, $13 even for a plane to New York and a limousine to Grand Central Station. Then I walked over to Henry's office at 505th Avenue at the corner of 42nd Street. Oh, Johnny, you really made time. Sit down. Yeah, thanks. That's because of the tempting offer you made to me over the phone. A policy worth 200 grand. 189,000 to be exact. Straight line. Mm-hmm. On home. Mr. Jonathan R. Kenworthy. Kenworth. Very, very wealthy. Retired some years ago after selling off the Kenworthy copper mills. Oh, yeah, sure. Been living here in New York for the past 20 years. Big fancy apartment overlooking the East River. 714 East 52nd Street. Mm, expensive neighborhood. Oh, I told you he was loaded. So what happened to him? He was murdered, Johnny. Oh? Yeah. And who was the beneficiary of this nice, juicy hunk of insurance? His grandson, Carlton M. Kenworthy. And that's the answer to your next question, too. Now, what do you mean by that? I was going to ask you if uh, you or the police have any, any idea, idea who might have killed him. Yeah, that's right. And I told you, this young Carlton Kenworthy, his grandson, who is also the sole heir to all the rest of his estate. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's a pretty strong accusation, Hank. You have any proof? None whatsoever. Nor have the police. But I take it you figure that Carlton had the motive and the opportunity. And a perfect alibi. Oh? Yeah. Then what makes you think he did it? And the police, too? And the police, too. Well? Motive, Johnny. It's as simple as that. All right, keep talking. It's simply that nobody else in the world could possibly benefit by old Mr. Kenworthy's death. Well, now, Hank Plus the fact that he had no enemies. None whatsoever, Johnny. You sound pretty sure of that. I am. I not only knew him, but I knew a great deal about him. Oh, but after all, a man who's been head of a company as big as Kenworthy Copper Mills... You know, some disgruntled employee with some imaginary grievances. Over 20 years ago? Well, but even if he'd only retired from that business last month, I'd still say no. 
Kenworthy was one of the best loved men I've ever heard of. As for his employees, why, they're the ones he left the business to. He never had a strike, any other kind of labor troubles, despite the size of his plant, because he treated every one of his employees like one of his own kids. That sounds pretty unusual, Johnny, I know. But he was an unusual man. Oh, I see. But now about this grandson, Carlton Kenworthy. Well, about as useless a hunk of human being as I've ever seen. How old is he? Oh, 30, 32 or 3. What's he do for a living? Well, that's the point. He doesn't. Nor has he ever done anything. Despite the fine education, all the world travel his grandfather lavished on him. Johnny, if you want a perfect definition of a playboy, I can give it to you in three words. Carlton Manson Kenworth. And he gets the whole estate as well as the insurance. He's known in every nightclub on Manhattan Island. He and that leech Allen something or other who pals around with him. Allen? Yeah, um, Barker or Baxter or something. Theaters, nightclubs, expensive restaurants, all the racetracks when they're open, wherever they're open. And they toss money around like confetti. Where does Carlton get it? From his grandfather. Who's always sponging up. Well, what about this pal of his, this uh, Alan, whatever his name is? Uh, Barker. That's his name, Alan Barker. Well? He sponges off Carlton. Oh, they're quite a pair, Johnny. Well, did the grandfather approve of this kind of stuff? I don't think he really knew what was going on. According to the old man's attorney, who was a friend of mine, uh, he was led to believe that Carlton was investing in various business ventures. Hmm. The point is, the boy needed money. And the surest way of getting it, plenty of it, was by having his grandfather dead. Yeah, well, you've built up quite a case, Hank, but it still isn't enough to hang him, not by a long shot. Have the police been able to pin anything on him? Not yet, apparently. I told you he has a perfect alibi. When did it happen? Last Tuesday. Uh, who's handling the police investigation? Uh, Lieutenant uh, Randolph Singer. Do you Randy think... Singer? Great. Randy just happens to be one of the best homicide men in this fair city of yours. Well, he certainly hasn't impressed hey, listen, me. If they've got him working on it, and if you have got a case against Carlton Kenworthy... Hank, I'll see you later. Where are you going, Johnny? Over to see Randy Singer. Sure, Johnny, I'm just as sure as your friend Hank at the insurance company. Why, Randy? Well, the way that boy played around. Cost him a fortune. Even more than his grandfather gave him. You're sure of that? What do you mean? Well, the way I get it, Grandpa gave him plenty. Yeah, but Carlton is up to his ears in debt. Every time the boys raid a plush gambling joint, there he is. He and that hanger on of his, Alan Barker. Like peas in a pod, those two. Hmm. Then he probably welcomed the raids. Hmm? Sure. Probably kept him from having to pay off some of his losses. Yeah, he's still in up to his ears. And as long as he's the only one who could possibly benefit from Grandpappy's death, as long as we're sure that nobody else had any reason for killing him, and we are... How and when and where was he killed? Tuesday night in his apartment. He was struck on the back of the head with a heavy wrought iron poker from the fireplace. One good wallop, and he was done for. Hank says that Carlton has an alibi. Yeah, airtight. I checked it every way I can. From here, that is. And where's your case against him? But if you can break that alibi... But Randy, if you've checked it I out... I said from here. But if that company of yours will pay your expenses to Alaska... Alaska? That's right. Oh, look, with such flimsy evidence... Will you do it, Johnny? But now listen, Just Randy... Just to, let's say, to get me off the hook... But I'm still not convinced that... Johnny. (sighs) Okay, Randy, sure.
and the evaporated clue matter. But why Alaska? Because that's where Carlton Kenworthy says he was when his grandpappy was murdered. Well, Randy, that ought to be easy enough to check out. So I did, Johnny. He made the airline reservation. He was aboard the plane. He got the Juno on Monday afternoon. He got himself a room at the Baranoff Hotel. You checked out with the hotel? By telephone. Why was he up there? Who knows? But the hotel says he was. Well, what did he do with himself? Uh, Apparently took in some of the night spots and flew on back here on Thursday morning. Checked him all the way through. And his grandfather died on Tuesday. Oh, Parker. Here's the report on that poker, Lieutenant. Oh, good. The prints were pretty badly smudged, but they managed to nail down a couple of them. Oh, whose? Yeah, look at this, Johnny. Yes, sir. One print from the deceased and... and a couple made by Carlton Kenworthy. Yes, sir. And uh, why not, Lieutenant? Huh? Kenworthy... After all, as I told you several times, I've often made up the fire for my grandfather there in his apartment. So is there any reason why my fingerprints shouldn't be on that poker that was used to kill him? Hmm? He's got a point there, Randy. Well, listen. Of course I have. The fact remains... And didn't this officer say the prints of both myself and my grandfather were badly smudged? Yes. So, whoever did it wiped off his own prints and part of ours. Quite possible, Randy. The fact remains, Kenworthy. The fact remains that I was in Alaska when my grandfather was murdered. Why, Carlton? Just a little trip, a little fun, just... Who are you? Johnny Dollar, investigator for the insurance company. Well, Dollar, I certainly hope you can accomplish more than these stupid police have. Of all the stumbling, bumbling... That's all, Parker. Yes, sir. Well, Lieutenant, that uh, silly look on your face... Because I think you killed him. Because you're the only one with any reason to. But I didn't, of course. How could I? Hey, tell me this, Carlton. I'll tell you anything I can, Mr. Dollar, if you'll get this incompetent flatfoot off my neck. Kenworthy... And, of course... Help to solve the murder of my poor, sweet, kind old grandfather. Okay, okay. Did you make that trip to Alaska alone? Yes, that's right. Okay, thanks. That's all? That's all. For now. Very well. And uh, will you keep me advised, Lieutenant, if by some stroke of luck you should happen to make some progress for a change? Get out, Kenworthy. Gladly. Just be sure you stay around, that you don't leave town. Don't be silly, Lieutenant. Why should I? Johnny, so help me, a fat guy. If I have to... Okay, okay. Just give me one thing, Randy, an address. Huh? Yeah. I could see why Randy'd harbor no love for Carlton Kenworthy. His attitude there at headquarters got under my skin, too. Expense account item three, a dollar even for a cab to Alan Barker's apartment. And I saw immediately why Randy had said they were like two peas in a pod, despite the fact Carlton was a good deal huskier. They were so much alike, I wondered if there was some blood relationship. Hardly, Mr. Dollar. We're simply good friends, that's all. Our tastes are alike in liquor and women. We like to do the same things, and... Well, that's why we get along so well together, why we're known as the uh, inseparables. Alan, did you know that Carlton was going to Alaska? I certainly did. I drove him to his plane on Monday, and on Thursday I met his return flight and drove him back to his flat. Missed him like the very devil, incidentally. You keep a car here in the city? Mm, in the garage down in the basement. What did you do while he was away? Felt terribly at loose ends, but then I had my car washed and greased and took a long trip. Oh, when? I left Monday evening. Where'd you go? Oh, I drove several hundred miles. 
Took little side roads and byways that probably aren't even on the map. Think perhaps you could retrace your route? <laughs> Good heavens, no. Oh, I did end up somewhere near Albany before starting back Wednesday morning. Ah, uh-huh. did you stay at Albany? My memory's a bit vague, Mr. Dollar, but I'm quite sure I didn't. Well, where did you stay over? Mm-hmm. Well, this may sound fantastic to you. Where? But I haven't the least idea. I uh, took a couple of bottles with me. And they, coupled with the fact I was in completely unfamiliar country and that at night one little roadside motel looked as good as any other, well, I just don't know. You know, you make things sound pretty bad for yourself, Alan. I beg your pardon? Considering the way you've been sponging off Carlton Kenworthy, well, offhand, I'd say you had as much reason to want his grandfather out of the way as he did. I beg your pardon. And without a very good explanation of your whereabouts at the time of the murder. Now, look here, Dollar. But you know something? I don't think you have enough guts to have made those lily-white hands of yours wield that poker. horrid thought. And yet, on the other hand... Well, yes, Dollar? Hmm. As an accessory. Accessory? That's right. I'll see you later, Alan. Now, look here. Just don't leave town. Carlton, possibly. Alan, well, I don't know. I, I don't pretend to be an expert judge of character. But I'd swear that Alan wasn't capable of killing a man. And yet, as Randy had said, unless we could somehow break Carlton's alibi, then I got an idea. It would take time. It would be expensive. But with 189000 of insurance involved, yeah, I decided to take a flyer, stick my neck out all the way. Expense account item four, 489.54. That's a round-trip plane ticket to Juneau, Alaska, by way of Seattle, Washington. It wasn't until we got there that I suddenly realized I'd been pretty stupid. In spite of the fact that Alan looked very much like him, I should have taken along a picture of Carlton Kenworthy. And certainly I should have taken along a set of his fingerprints for comparison with any I might be able to pick up. Or even a sample of his handwriting. But I didn't, so I'd have to work things out the best I could. Item five, ten dollars for miscellaneous taxi fares. Item six, ten dollars for a room at the Baranoff Hotel. And yes, I got the same story Randy Singer had about Carlton's having been there, having spent plenty of time at the bar in the bubble room at nightclubs all over the town. But then it was item seven, eight dollars and a half for some drinks and dinner in the main dining room that finally did the trick. Yeah, that pointed out the one small, seemingly insignificant way in which I could either prove or disprove Kenworthy's alibi. Believe me, seldom has the solution of a murder case hung on such a slender thread. Anyhow, less than 36 hours after I'd left New York, I was back at Idlewild Airport. Item 8, 10 cents for a phone call to Randy Singer. Item 9, 7.50 for a fast taxi into 18th Precinct Headquarters. Johnny, where you been anyway? Did you get in touch with Carlton? He's right here in my office. Good boy, Randy. Well, hello, Carlton. Ungodly hour to drag a man out of bed and over here. Yeah, have a bad night of it? We, uh, Alan and I did do the town a bit. Uh, Have you found some... A lead, I believe you call it, on the killer of my grandfather? Yeah, maybe. Do you mind if I sit down? Maybe you'd better. Where were you when your grandfather was murdered? Why, I've told you, Juneau, Alaska. You know Alaska pretty well? I know nothing about it. This is my first trip and a very brief one. You stayed at the Burnoff Hotel. That's right. Uh, check with them, and you'll find I was there on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Hmm. Did you eat there at the hotel? My dinners, yes. Uh, but I fail to see what that Just uh, answer my questions, will you, please? Why not? Okay, now. Monday night. Cocktails in the bubble room? That's right. 
But what difference could that possibly... And, uh, what did you have for dinner? Now, that's a stupid question. Yeah? But if I can prove you weren't where you say you were when your grandfather was killed... If you can, Dollar, and I know that you can't, but if you could, I would gladly confess to this murder, regale you with gruesome details, tell you anything you like. Wise guy. I asked you what you had for dinner Monday night there at the Baranoff. Oh, I see. You think if I say I had something that wasn't on the menu that Just night... Just answer my question. Or perhaps you'll check to see if the dinner was put on my bill, so I'd have to sign for it, leave a sample of my handwriting. But I paid cash for everything. I asked about your dinner. Well? Dollar of all the asinine, idiotic... Shrimp cocktail, a salad, a steak, and some coffee. Get that stuff anywhere. But now, Dollar... Mike? What? The coffee. Really? If this is detective work, if this nonsensical questioning... Well? No, Mr. Dollar. I had my coffee with cream and sugar. Oh, you ordered cream? I used the cream that was on the table. Look here, now, of all the silly, absurd, childish Cream things... was on the table? Of course it was. Real cream? Yes, yes, and, and the sugar was real sugar. Oh, uh, that's beside the point. But what you hope to gain by all this stupid... Uh... Oh. Oh, you mean you solved this heinous crime without knowing about the sugar, little boy? That's right. Because you'd already told me you were never there. What? Because Alan went up there instead, didn't he? Using your name. To establish an alibi for you. Now, what miraculous deduction leads because you Because to... of your certainty about that cream on the table. Of course I'm certain. Doesn't any decent restaurant put cream on the table? No, not up there. What? What's that, Johnny? But he didn't tell me that. I, I mean, don't know I why, don't... Randy. Maybe no big dairy farms yet. Maybe just plain habit. Maybe they like it better. Dollar, how did you find out but about But on that? every table, even in the best places, you'll find no cream. But a little can of evaporated milk. Like to check on it? Well, I'll be doggone. It was Alan. Did Alan tell you that? Did Alan give me away because he thought he could get the money if I... I, I... I knew he was my friend only because of the money I could give him, but listen, he's as guilty as I am, Mr. Dollar. Is he? Of course he is, because he helped me kill my grandfather. Well, isn't he? Isn't he? I'll, I'll prove it. I'll, I'll, I'll prove I couldn't have killed him without his help. Do you hear me, Dollar? Do you hear me? You think that's going to help you in court? <laughs> I were to put down all I think about the Alan Barkers and Carlton Kenworthys and all the rest of that rotten... Ah, why bother? What's the use? Expense account total, including incidentals, the trip back to Hartford, $574 even. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. star with a word or two about next week's program. And a welcome to a couple of more stations that have joined us. WBRK in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and WKNY over in Kingston, New York. We're glad to have you with us. And man, how this network grows and grows. As for next week, well, I wonder just how you'd feel sitting on top of a nuclear explosive device knowing the darn thing may go off any second and blow you to kingdom come. I know how I feel. And I'll tell you all about it on my program next Sunday, as usual, right here on the CBS radio station that brings you all the best in programming. The story's a real cliffhanger, and I'm sure you'll like it. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Money Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is written, produced, and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in our cast were Harry Bartell, Herb Bygren, Carlton G. Young, Herb Ellis, and Jack Edwards. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Coverly speaking. Suspense follows on the CBS Radio Network. That was yours truly, Johnny Dollar, from January 17th, 1960. And the name of that one was The Evaporated Clue Matter. Bob Bailey was very, very good in that role. And imagine uh, flying around the country in 1960. Now, they had just introduced jet travel like one or two years earlier, 57, 58, right in there, I think, uh, maybe 59 even. I remember that uh, they went out with the, with the 747s first started flying. I believe it was in 1969 because I was living in New York at the time. And I, I just remember what a big deal that was. But I remember, uh, I guess, DC-8s and Boeing 707s were what everybody flew. And there was a, a Convair, too, a jet. Um, but anyway... Then, of course, they went into the more commuter jets, the 727s and the DC-9s, and then they started getting into the wide-body jobs uh, and the lengthening ones. I remember used to fly on a super DC-8, which was the longest, skinniest plane you ever saw. It sat 250 people, I think, and, and yet it was just uh, three and three, you know, across. All right, well, that, uh, that'll wrap it up for tonight. Tomorrow we have a Western for you, and uh, when you come back and join us, we'll uh, tell you what that's going to be. You know, when we were listening to radio back in the 60s, because I remember the 60s very well. I was in middle school in 1960. We listened to old-time radio dramas, but we also listened to a lot of music, especially as young people. And so I just put together, I, I, I started looking at a list of the top 100 songs or 50 songs of uh, January 1960, and I just grabbed out several of them that I thought would kind of give us a taste for the different types of music. Now, the number one song that year or that month was El Paso by Marty Robbins, and I'm not going to play that because that thing's like six minutes long, and you still hear that quite often. I tried to pick songs you don't hear very often. So if you were around listening to radio in 1960, uh, maybe you'll enjoy these and it'll bring back some memories. Or if you're just curious, what were people listening to in 1960? This will give you a pretty good idea. And if you only turn in for the radio dramas and you're not the least bit interested in music, well, then you might as well just leave us right now. And uh, with our thanks... And we'll see you tomorrow. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by. And I am so glad you met me. Sand. Sand. Took every sweet thing like sugar and spice. Ice cream and candy. Everything nice. They put it together. Gave it a name Sandy 
Oh, boy. 
Put your sweet lips a little closer to the phone Let's pretend that we're together all alone I'll tell the man to turn the jukebox way down low And you can tell your friend there with you He'll have to go Whisper to me Tell me do you love me true Or is he holding you The way I do Though love is blind Make up your mind I've got to know Should I hang up or will you tell him he'll have to go? You can't say the words I want to hear while you're with another man. Do you want me answer yes or no? Darling, I will understand. Put your sweet lips a little closer to the phone Let's pretend that we're together all alone I'll tell the man to turn the jukebox way down low And you can tell your friend there with you You'll have to go For three long years now he's been gone He left her crying on her wedding day And went to fight the battle of the blue and gray Oh Mary, don't you weep for me Oh Mary, just you wait for me The war's gonna soon be over Oh Mary, don't you weep Mary's young heart was filled with joy When she got the letter from her soldier boy His words of love made her heart beat fast But little did she know it would be the last Oh Mary, don't you weep for me Oh Mary, just you wait for me The battle will soon be over On that same day Atlanta burned down Her soldier boy he fell to the ground Now Mary sits alone by the candlelight And reads his letter over every night Oh Mary don't you weep for me Oh 
Just you wait for me The war's gonna soon be over Oh Mary, don't you weep Oh Mary, don't you weep for me Oh Mary, just you wait for me The battle's gonna soon be over Oh Mary, don't you weep Oh Mary, don't you weep Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling From glen to glen and down the mountainside The summer's gone and all the roses falling It's you, it's you must go and I must Run, red, run, cause he's got your gun And he's 
full of lead. Old Red jumped up and he started to move like a P-80 Saber Jack. He zoomed around the corner and he disappeared and everybody started to bang. The race was on, you know the chase was on. That Red, he sure could run. But let me tell you, sport, don't sell that monkey short Cause he's a traveling son of a gun Well, uh, run, Red, run, cause he's got your gun And he's aiming it at your head Run, Red, run, cause he's got your gun And he's aiming it at your head You better get up and well, you better move your tail Before he feels it up full of lead Parking lot down along the avenue. The monkey said, Red, you made a man out of me. Now I'm gonna make a monkey out of you. Give me your car keys and give me your watch. Give them to me or I'll shoot. I'm gonna put on your brand new Stetson hat and go to town in your new brown suit. Well, uh, run, Red, run, cause he's got your gun.
Yeah. 